0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Our uh, next week planning to begin uh, preaching through the book of Ephesians. And we'll walk through Ephesians together, uh, Lord willing. And uh, we're going to look at what God has to say for us there. But in the middle of this, then it gives me an opportunity to preach a couple of standalone sermons and address a couple of issues. And this is one of my favorite times of the year. It's one of my favorites as well as one of my not-so-favorites. Uh, at this time in the summer, I'm over summer. Anybody else? Like, I, I'm, re- I'm, I'm over the heat. This morning felt great to be outside and just feel, you know, uh, low 70s and a breeze blowing. I just, that's what, I, if it was that way all year round, I could live with that, right? Uh, and so uh, that part, this part of the, the year is kind of tough for me, but in another sense you can almost smell fall in the air, right? You can almost feel it in the breeze and football's coming, right? And so, like, I'm ready. Like, this is a great time of the year. And not only for those things, but it gives us an opportunity as a church, as a faith family, to kind of look inwardly. And to say, hey, we're getting ready to start a new year too. We're going to start a new church year. And, you know, let's, let's look inwardly for just a few minutes this morning and kind of take stock of where we are. And look at what might perhaps need to change and maybe celebrate some things that God is doing here and through us. And so that's what I want to do this morning by looking at Nehemiah. So I would invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. I threw some of you off because my first words when I came to the pulpit this morning were not. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Nehemiah. That's the way I start everything. But uh, that's where we're going this morning is Nehemiah chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of background because we're not all that familiar. We're going to take a passage Uh, uh, The story uh, that that was very much Israel's story, and we're going to look for some truths there that we can glean for ourselves and apply here at Abner Creek. So let me give you a background. Nehemiah uh, was an ordinary Jew. He was an ordinary Jewish person who happened to be the cupbearer to the most powerful person alive. He was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. Um, hundred and forty-one years before the writing of Nehemiah, uh, Babylon had captured Judah and, uh, and destroyed Jerusalem, and they had taken the Jews into exile. So the Jews had been displaced, and we know this, if you know any biblical history at all, you know that, that their sin had kind of led them into captivity, and they'd been exiled, uh, captured by, by Babylon. Uh, and along the way, Babylon was then conquered by Persia. Um, which often happened. It just so happened a nation came along and was, and was stronger and bigger and took over and conquered Babylon. And they also then assumed control of Jerusalem and also Judah. Well, Zerubbabel and, and others, another name that you might not be familiar with, but just an, another person in Jewish history, they were allowed to rebuild the temple are familiar with biblical history at all, you know that the temple was a big deal throughout the Old Testament, and uh, and so they were able to rebuild after Babylon had destroyed it all. They were able to rebuild the temple, but they did so not without opposition. Uh, they were opposed uh, in the rebuilding of the temple, and at one point, work was stopped on the temple and momentum was lost. Now, the temple is rebuilt, but we're going to find in our passage this morning that, uh, that the wall was never finished. The wall just has never been rebuilt. It, it lies in ruins. And so this text this morning, while it is Israel's history, I think has some lessons for us uh, here in 2017 uh, at Abner Creek. So if you will follow along with me in Nehemiah chapter one, and let's look at the 11 verses that make up chapter one. The words of Nehemiah, Son of Hakaliah. Uh, Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who, who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. I want to just walk through this passage and not deal with everything that's here, but as I've said, just glean some things that we can learn at the beginning of a new church year that will hopefully be very applicable to us where we are. Number one, one of the things that we should commend Nehemiah for is he asked for an honest report. He wasn't looking for some sugar-coated report to tell me how things are and, and looking for someone to say, hey, everything's all good, it's all good in the hood, you know, it's, everything's fantastic back there. He wanted to know an all-in realistic report of how things were. A, a brother is someone who give you the truth even if it's ugly. Do you all know this to be true? Like sometimes you'll you'll hear flowery words with, from someone and you just know they're only telling you what you want to hear or they're not being real with you or honest. And and you just feel like, you know, that was cordial and we had conversation but nothing real really happened there. But a brother will tell you how it is even if it hurts, even if it's ugly. Because they want you to know the truth so that you can then be helped. And that's what a brother will do. And, and when Nehemiah asks for this report, the people, he, he gets this report that, you know, they're in trouble because the walls around Jerusalem are in, in, in ruins. And a couple things that just stand out about why they're in trouble. One is the people are defenseless. I mean, progress has been stopped on the wall, and, and there's no wall to protect them from invading armies. They are, they are just sitting there as open ducks, and, and nothing will protect them uh, from, from anyone trying to invade or conquer them again. And so they, they need these walls. This is a different day and age than ours. I know we have talk in our political realm today of walls and That's a different issue altogether. But this one uh, was dire to their, and I'm not making it, it's not a political statement. This one's dire to their protection. Boy, I just probably stepped in a can of worms there. You know, anyway. um, So the people are defenseless because the progress on the wall has been stopped. But not only are they physically defenseless and they're sitting there as open ducks, the name of God is being shamed. Because This temple has been rebuilt, but all of a sudden, the God of this temple has abandoned the work, or so it appears. And the walls are laying there in ruins, and the people of other nations can look in and laugh and say, Your God must not be very powerful at all. Look at how he leaves his people, look at how he treats the work. And and the name of God is shamed because the walls are not completed. And this is what I believe leads Nehemiah to weep. He weeps for his people. He wants them to be safe and defended. But he also weeps because of the shame that's being brought on the name of God. The application for us out of this is we need to ask, what is the honest report about Abner Creek? And I realize today that there are probably some that are here as guests. Maybe you're here today and you came because you were at the cookout last night over in Roger's Mill. And we are ex- we're excited and so glad you're here. You're going to hear a little bit of the, the, the inside talk with us this morning. And that's okay because probably you need to see some of that and hear some of that. Uh, if you're going to make an intelligent decision about whether this is a place you want to continue to kind of hang around. So what's the honest report about Abner Creek? What are the condition of our walls? And I'm not talking about the, the physical structure that we're meeting in today, these walls. This building is is now, I think, seven years old. We moved in June of 2010 after we had a fire and it destroyed our other property. And it's hard to believe we've kind of been in this building as long as we have now, but After seven years, sure, there are some nicks in the sheetrock and some things that might need to be repainted and things like that. But that's not what I'm talking about. What are the condition, what's the condition of those things that make up who we are? Well, I would say to you, I think the gospel is strong here. I, I look around and I see the things that we are doing and the things that are that, uh, that we 're we're, we're operating from, and I think the Gospel is at the center of a whole lot of what we do. I sat in Sunday school this morning and, and uh, my sunday school teacher i 'm so thankful for Sunday school teachers and, and the faithful work that they do and how they study and prepare to teach us god 's word i 'm thankful for that. And I listened to the response of the participants in that classroom as he, at, he posed a question and listed those things on the board, and just intelligent gospel centered biblical responses to that that, uh, uh, that question and that 's fantastic there are so many things that I could point to, not just Sunday school but Life groups, and I see conversations that are going on in hallways uh, among church members that they don't know that I see those things, and I have no idea what they're talking about. They could be talking about upcoming football season, but I don't think they are. Based on their posture and and and, and the, the the tone and the look on their faces, I think it's deeper than that, and I think it's I think it's a brother helping a brother, a sister helping a sister. Excuse me. Those are good things. Those are fantastic things. But what if we move beyond that and we move beyond the gospel at the center? And I just have to say, time out. I'm fighting a cough. And so you're going to hear me pause a couple times in this. And uh, it's because I don't want to cough in this microphone. Um, You imagine, I mean, it's bad enough you try to cough and you try to mask it. Strap a microphone to your face and, and see how that works for you. I mean it, you know, take that into to high school, you know, chemistry or whatever and, and, and you know do that. That's it's pretty tough. So tangent, sorry about that. But they just had to get it out there. Condition of our walls. What about things like the financial giving and the budget? And all of a sudden people went, Oh. I didn't realize he was going there. You know, I I think we have made incredible strides here. I've said to you a couple times lately, you know, we don't have any product that we sell here. We we don't have any source of of revenue here. We're not sending out invoices for, for services rendered here. We're completely and totally dependent on the generosity of God's people. That as God moves on the heart of his people, the work of God continues to go forward. And, and I think we've made incredible strides here. And I see people, and I, and I know nothing about what anyone gives. But I have watched the numbers over the years, and I have seen how the giving has definitely increased. But I would also say to you, there are still some things that we need to not be so comfortable in and think, well, we've made strides there, and, and we've, we've ended the last couple of years, you know, in the black and we're we're, we seem to be good we don't need to be content and 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 good there instead we need to realize that there are more things that need to go forward for instance let me just give you a a couple of those or, or two or three of those we still owe money on this building we've been in this building now for seven years and we have made incredible strides here and and that we've seen that level of of debt come down significantly But we still have that payment that comes out every month. It's just like your house payment every month or your rent check every month. We still have that. I often think about what could be done in the name of ministry for the glory of God if that payment was gone. I would love for the Lord just to move on on his people and us see that thing just wiped out and just gone so that we could then concentrate more on doing more in our community and more to the to the nations for the glory of god i think there are some things that we need to do as far as ministry expansion and i won't go into a to a list of those but i i think i, I look around as i live throughout the week in our community in our context and i think man somebody needs to have a presence for the gospel there and i think man why can't it be us And and those are the things that honestly sometimes require finances and money. And I'm praying that God would, would pour those things out. Not so that, hear me, not so that this pastor can get a new wardrobe or buy a bigger house or have a nicer vehicle or any of those things. I'm praying that God would pour out resources on us like never before so that those could just go through our hands and out into ministries all over our context for his glory so that people might be saved and our community might be changed because of the gospel here. I think there are some issues with uh, with staffing that we probably are at a point where we probably need to add some staff at some point um, in some various areas. Uh, I'm not going to name those, but I think we're at a place where we, we've grown to the place where if we don't begin to address some of these issues, we may become stagnant and we may become content and comfortable where we are. And instead of continuing to go forward and to grow for the, for the glory of God and his kingdom, I, I'm just afraid that we, we may be at that point where we need to do that. So those are just, just a couple things with giving. What about the question of how are the walls concerning Baptisms or our growth. One of my major concerns here, just bearing my soul before you, um, is that we have seen a lot of people come into Abner Creek over the last several years. We're glad and thankful for every one of those people. We pray that that continues. But here's, here's my concern. Most of those people were already Christians when they came here. Most of those Christians have come from other churches. We've not gone out and potentially poached other church members from other churches. It so happens that a lot of times people move from the area where they once lived and they move into our community and they're looking for a church home. And we're so glad to have people come that are already believers. But you know what I want to see? I want to see people reached for the first time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. With the good news. I want to see people from our community hear about Jesus, turn from their sin, trust in Christ, and follow through in following Him by joining a local church, whether it's Abner Creek or another church in our community, doesn't matter to me, but I want us to grow that way that they might walk through those baptismal waters not as just a ritual that is something you do but as a symbol and just a significant event that they are identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ and they are forever changed. That's what I want to see. I'm in the process, I'm about halfway through of working on on a doctorate at Southern Seminary and my project that I have identified uh, is, is to help us, to lead us in this initiative to be more engaging with our community, with the gospel. Okay, the, the, the way they make me state it there for their purposes is a whole lot longer than that, but I want us to take the gospel to our neighborhood and the nations like we haven't done. Condition of our walls. Or our programs and our Schedules causing people to be protected and built up spiritually i mean are, is what we are doing relevant and i don't mean is it relevant like hey is are we in tune with the culture there are so many things that churches are doing just just for the sake of being in tune with the culture that are entirely pragmatic and the and, and the means the justifies the ends they don't care how they do it They'll do anything in the world in order to get a crowd. That's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is, are we taking a look at what we're actually doing and saying, God, do you still want us to do this? God, is this still what you would have us to do here? Lord, if it is, how can we make this better? I think those are the questions that we need to be asking. Are people being protected and built up spiritually? Have we become content to stay within our walls? And again, I don't mean the walls of wood and sheetrock per se, but I do mean uh, are we, have we become content to stay within the walls of our preferences and our contentment? Now, one of the things I can say on this is positive is that yesterday I stood over there in that field at Rogers Mill and I watched people from this congregation serve. They served in various ways. I stood under that tent and with, with uh, four or five other guys and we lit those grills and we grilled hamburgers and hot dogs and we talked with one another and we fed people over there. I watched people underneath the other set of tents and they took those, the, the meat off those grills and put them in buns and put them in bags and put them on plates and served. I watched other people do various things, photo booths and, and, and inflatables and all these things. I watched our students walk around and speak with people. I watched our adults walk around and have conversations with people. I watched one of our men who's been here for a long time uh, step out of his comfort zone and approach an individual. (coughs) Sorry. Approach an individual and just talk to them and just have a conversation and just invite them to church and uh, kind of point them to the hope that's in Jesus. And so when I asked this question you know, have we become content to stay within our walls? I think in one sense the answer is no. I mean, have we had a busier summer than we did this summer ever in the history of Abner Creek? I don't know. But, I mean, we, we, we sent a team to Toronto. We sent a team to New York. We did drama camp and VBS and, and, and all these things in an effort to, to reach people that are outside of our faith family with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of those people we will never meet again. Some of those people are very different from us, and so I am proud to say, man, God, thank you for letting me be a pastor of a people that will do this. But on the other hand, I think there are so many more of us that need to jump in. And, and, if, and if you're sitting there thinking, I wonder if he's talking to me, assume I am, okay? I'm not calling anybody out by name, but I think everybody here, if you are a child of God, a believer in Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, you have the great commission given to you. So find a way to jump in, plug in, serve, get out in the community, invite people to know the Lord, invite them to the hope that can be found in Him. Is the name of God shamed here? Is the name of God shamed here by secret lifestyles? I don't want to meddle here, and I don't know anything. The, the very essence of the question, that their secret lifestyles, means nobody knows. But sometimes when we think nobody knows, people that we don't think know, know. And they look and they say, but you know, he says he follows Christ. His God must not be all that grand. Because look at what he gives his life to. Look at what she pursues. And even if no one else on the planet knows, God knows. And there is shame that is even brought to God's name. There's, there's this, there's this um, reproach that's brought on God's name when we don't live wholly for God. I would say largely, and I don't want to sound a downer there, I think for the large part, I think there's so many things that go on where the people of our community don't look in and say, you know, those, those people from Abner Creek, they're just playing games. Their God must not be that grand. I think the opposite is true a lot of times. I think they look at what we're doing at Abner Creek Academy, and this is not to put any of, of, of uh, the spotlight on ourselves, but they see these things. The way people serve with Good News Club and, and all these different avenues and say, you know, those people, I think, believe what they preach. They live for the glory of God. And that's what I want to spur you on to that. I don't want to elevate one program over another. I just want to call us to take a, an honest evaluation of where we are as a church and say, God, is this what you would have for us, Lord? Is this how it should be? So the great thing here in Nehemiah is that Nehemiah asked for an honest report. The second thing I noticed here in verse 4 is that Nehemiah was very aware. He saw what could be and what should be. He wept when he heard the report. He knew this should not be this way. He knew there should be walls around Jerusalem. He saw what should be and it drove him to action. Many of you have heard my story and, and you know I've been here eight years next month. And, and, uh, I was thinking over there a minute ago, I've preached somewhere in the neighborhood, probably at least 400 sermons. And, and some of you have heard nearly all of those. And, and, uh, it's kind of hard not to repeat the same story sometimes, but this is my story. And so I just want to remind you of it. You know, you never know where you'll be or when, when it will happen when God will grab you and say, I got something for you to do. Come do it. Um, when I surrendered to ministry, I didn't want to be in ministry. I'd grown up, and my mom was the pastor's secretary, and, and uh, I had seen the ins and outs of church, and I had known the, the 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 fights that went on in church, and the bickering between staff, and and I was terrified to be in front of people. I uh, just couldn't stand the thought of that at, at all. And so, when God, when I knew God was was calling me to ministry, I just said thanks but no thanks, and I just ran from God. And I just I, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought somehow I could just say. Nope, not for me, God, and I'll just do my own thing. And uh, that went on from age 16 to age 19, and and when I was 19 years old, my best friend passed away suddenly, unexplainably. They don't really know what happened. His parents came home and found him dead in the shower. When I went to his funeral, I, I looked into his body and realized that I, I knew everything about him. Stared into that casket, and I knew everything about him. I knew all of his likes and dislikes. I, I, knew, I knew the types of girls that he liked. I knew the, the interests and hobbies he had. I knew everything. We hung out together all the time. But the one thing I didn't know at that moment was where he was because I had never shared the gospel with him. I had talked with him about cars and girls and football and all these things, but I had never talked to him about the Lord Jesus. And now it was too late. And God used that in my life to call me to ministry. And shortly, I, I went into ministry and, and went to college, met my wife. We began serving at a church, and uh, we were there less than a year, and a church fight broke out. Everything that I had feared. And there was this effort to, to fire the pastor, and there was, it was an affair going on between a minister of music and a secretary, and it was ugly. Business meetings were ugly. Ugly, it was terrible, and everything that I had feared, that had caused me to run from God for a long time, was now happening. And I, it didn't—it didn't cause me to to say, "God, I told you so, and I'm out of here." I stuck with it, and I said, "God, you've called me to this. Lord, help me be faithful through this." Long story short, we went out of there, and, and we ended up in another church a few years later. And in that church, we had asked all the questions in the interview process, and. How is, how's the spirit of the church, is there any turmoil, is there any fighting of what's going on? And, and all the way through this church, the, the, the search committee told me, oh, no, everything's wonderful here, which should have been red flag, right? <laughs> what church do you know where everything's wonderful, right? And so we went there, we, we moved to Alabama, and uh, we were there um, just really a matter of weeks before we found out there was a petition that was already circulating to fire the pastor, and, and this church fight broke out, and, and all of a sudden it was happening again. And it seemed like everywhere I went there was this turmoil. And I wasn't, I wasn't the pastor. I was, a, I was a youth pastor, you know, at the time. And so I was just kind of along for the ride. And, and uh, I remember in that second church split, I remember just going into this depression and thinking, God, you've called me into this, but, Lord, this is everything I feared. God, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do this, and and I remember distinctly. I sat in Alabama, in in, in Hueytown, Alabama, uh, for for weeks on end. Every night, I sat in my backyard underneath the streetlight with my dog, and I just cried. I don't know why my dog was there. I think he just wanted to give me some company. Like dogs are your best friend because they just want to be there, you know, in the middle of that. And I was just I just cried. And I don't say that because I'm you know it makes me a a, a a wimp or anything. I just I couldn't do anything else. I was depressed. And my church saw this. We had some members in our church that saw this, and, and they, they knew something had to happen. And there was a local church, mega church, that was putting on a conference for pastors, and they said, you need to go to this because you need some help. And uh, so they sent me there, and I went all weekend long, and I listened to the sermons. And I, all I could do through this whole thing, I just wept. I mean, people started kind of scooting away from me. You know, these other pastors, like, Whew, this guy's got it rough you know, and they just, just kind of left me alone and on the last day of the conference I remember distinctly it was coming to a close and I just in my heart just sort of said God this was kind of a last ditch effort and Lord if you want me to remain in ministry you've got to show me because Lord if not I'm going to go home from this conference and I'm going to tell my wife we're out and I'm done because the church has, has beat me up And I remember as I'm sort of having this conversation with God, all of a sudden over the PA, the voice of the pastor at the front of the room said, Scott Ogle, come serve the body of Christ. And all this pastor was doing was taking names off of those that had registered for this conference, and he was calling people to come help pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper at this conference. He just picked my name at random, out of the hat, come down and pass a plate of bread. But I had just told God, God, if, if you want me in ministry, you got to show me. And this pastor said to me in front of everybody, Scott Ogle called me by name. Come serve the body of Christ. Those words were like just this balm to my soul. I wrote them in the front of my Bible. Immediately, those tears of depression and sorrow that I had prayed for months, Went to tears of joy and I, I, I went to the front of the room. I almost ran down there and I grabbed this plate of bread and I went passing it around. And everybody again was going away from this kind because I'm snotting. And here, you want some? And you should, you know, you know I'm serving the body of Christ, you know. Um, my point in all of that is you never know when God's going to call you and say, This is what I have for you. Come serve me. Uh, when you see things as they could be and they should be, we should be attentive and say, God, where would you use me? I look around at our community and I see all around us people moving in. I've lost count of the number of neighborhoods that are being built within just a few miles of here. There are people that are moving into our area from all over the world. They're coming to us right here in the middle of Greenville, Spartanburg, Woodruff, Duncan, Lyman, Greer. Right here, they're coming. And we need to be ready and say, God, there are people that you are delivering to us and we know how it should be. Revelation tells us that in the end, there will be people from every tribe and nation and tongue that will gather around your throne and worship you. Lord, we pray, would you cause them to be some that are moving here? And Lord, would you use us to do that? Lord, would you, would you say to us, Abner Creek, come serve the body of Christ. And let us go to, the, to our neighborhoods and, and to the nations to reach them with the gospel, to disciple them, to, to labor, to save marriages and families, to, to help them discover God's design and the purpose for their lives. That's how it should be. I pray that we would see it. Nehemiah also in verses 5 and 6 teaches us that for this task, we can't do this on our own. One of the greatest things that that Nehemiah did was immediately turn to the Lord. And he showed us that we must depend totally on God for the task. Verses 5 and 6 there, he starts out and he says, Oh, Lord, God of heaven. And he turns right there and takes this posture of worship. He he immediately, he doesn't doesn't just weep there. Instead, he turns to the Lord and he says, Lord, you got to do this. Lord, this is how it should be, but it's not. And Lord, would you do it? And he begins to ask. And and I think that's where we need to be. Let me just remind you that one of the reasons why we gather the way we do every single week is is to show this dependence on God. Is that we come through another week and we start this week off and we say, God, you're going to send me out into the world again. You're going to send me to work, to provide for my family, to take care of my kids, to, to, to love my neighbor, all these things. Lord, would you do it through me? We come together corporately and we say, God, we, you've positioned us here. Lord, would you do it through us? Lord, would you cause us, Lord, to, to be what you would have us to be right here? We need you desperately. This kind of worship goes beyond a weekly gathering. Nehemiah said there, he he used those words, those who love him and keep his commandments. This worship is not simply something that happens on the weekend when we gather together. It's this posture that we have all through the week that we love him and we keep his commandments. It shows up in our daily living that even in our daily living, we show we are dependent on him. (coughs) Nehemiah admitted where they had sinned, where he had sinned and where they had sinned. And, and I'm afraid, let me just speak frankly with you as if I haven't already this morning. I'm afraid that today's Christian has lost the seriousness of sin. That we have come to see sin as just something that sort of got us in this mess and, and you know, and, and, and we probably should be a little more serious than we are, but we're not really. And we learn to tolerate it. Our culture pushes sin on us like it's candy. Like it should be something that we should just consume and it's just normal and just get over it. Many of you could think back to the times when you were growing up and you you think about how the culture has changed and how much more okay with sin the culture has become. That's, That's not by accident. We have an enemy that would love to lull us into sleep when it comes to sin and cause us to treat it casually. But God says, be holy for I am holy. God calls us to treat sin seriously, to repent. And that word repent means that we would turn away from it, that we would not simply coddle it and, and, and tuck it away while giving lip service to the Lord, but that we would forsake it. The, Jesus said it's better that you lose a hand in this world than, than to not be able to enter heaven because of something that's causing you to sin or pluck out your eye because you better be blind here than to be out of heaven forever and in hell forever. We've got to learn to take sin seriously, to leave it, to walk away from it. And I think this means personally, that we would personally walk away from sin just as Nehemiah, he, he begins to confess and repent and he talks about that even he and his fathers have sinned Then he also talks about the sins of the nation. And and I think there is a place for us personally, and you're going to have this opportunity in just a few minutes, to repent personally. And by the way, this is not something that you do one time and you're over with, you're done with. Repentance is an act that you will have to repeat over and over and over again. The the old Puritans uh, used to talk about mortifying the flesh, putting it to death, right? And so it's going to be this daily act of Lord, help me to see sin for what it is. Help me to kill it. The old saying, be killing sin or it will be killing you. is true. That's it's an ongoing uh, stance. Personally repent, but also corporately. If and when we f- see that we are committing egregious acts of sin against our God, corporately where we're tolerating things, where we're maybe celebrating things that should not, we need to repent of those. There have been churches that have repented of things like racism and um, slavery and all these things. And, And I think when we see these things, these atrocities, not just in our culture because they've become sort of perverse in our culture as it is today, but because they are perverse against a holy God, then we corporately need to repent of those things. Listen to this statement by Richard Owen Roberts wrote the book, Repentance. Great book. I would, I would commend it to you. It's a long book, but it's worth your read. Um, he, he said, Without careful, searching, doctrinal preaching, the church becomes an assorted lot of flesh and spirit that is nearly impossible to effectively pastor. A mixture of sheep and goats are a shepherd's nightmare. Further, the world cannot believe in Christ because it cannot believe in the mixed multitude that calls itself Christian. It has no means whatsoever of distinguishing between the sheep of Christ's flock and the goats of the world that sit side by side in the same sanctuaries and mouth the same religious jargon. Oh, that we would be a people that say, God, help me to see sin for what it is. Help me to call it what it is. Help me to see you in all of your holiness. And Lord, would you grant me repentance to turn from it? And the last thing I'll show you in this passage in verse 11 Nehemiah prays for God's favor. Verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Notice that Nehemiah didn't rush into action. The the whole book of Nehemiah, and I would just commend you also to read through Nehemiah. He takes his time and he, and he, he investigates and he prays. He doesn't just jump into action. He prayed for months for the right plan, the right opportunity, and the right timing before he ever made a move. Warren Wiersbe, in, in his commentary on the book of Nehemiah, said, While Nehemiah was praying, his burden for Jerusalem became greater, and his vision of what needed to be done became clearer. Real prayer keeps your heart and your head in balance so your burden doesn't make you impatient to run ahead of the Lord and ruin everything. As we pray, God tells us what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. There are some things we don't have to pray about. We're called to the Great Commission. We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to repent of our sin. We're called to trust in Christ. We're called to pray. There's so many things we don't have to pray about. But when it comes to the specific actions that God will lead us to, let us pray. Number one, to depend on him, but to pray that God would lead us into the right steps of action, the right plans, the right timing. You know, the old expression um, um, with with firing lines, firing squads is ready, aim, fire, right? Too many people, because of wanting to be relevant in their culture or, or wanting to be successful in church growth or whatever, have distorted that phrase and instead of ready, aim, fire, their expression is ready, fire, aim. And what we don't want to do is to get ahead of God. We want to say, Lord, we believe you're making us ready. Lord, would you aim us at what you would have us to be the target. And then, Lord, when the time is right, Would you give us the faith to pull the trigger on your gospel? I love you. I love you as your pastor. I love you as your friend. I've been here long enough now that you've seen my kids grow up. I've seen your kids grow up. I love you, and I have developed a relationship and a rapport with you that today I believe I can call you, us, to repent, to turn and going into a brand new church here to depend on God like never before. To exercise bold faith so that God's name might be made great in our neighborhood and the nations. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that your word is timeless God, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you are still, God, in the business of protecting your people and leading your people and employing your people in your work. And God, I look at us as a church, and Lord, I'm so thankful for what you have done and where you have brought us. Lord, we have an incredible heritage here, 185 years' worth of heritage here. Lord, that is rare, Lord, we've almost been around for two centuries. God, I'm so thankful for that. That doesn't happen by accident, Lord. Your providence has sustained us. God, we are mindful this morning that if we're going to see any future at all, Lord, it will be because not only have you sustained us in the past, but you will sustain us going forward and you will propel us into your future. God, I pray that. Lord, would you show us where to go and what to do, and when and how much to give, and Lord, just all those things, Lord, would you work on an individual level, and the members that make up this church, and Lord, at a corporate level, would you lead us? God, I pray that where we have sinned and where we are sinning currently, where we are tolerating sin, ignoring your commands, Lord, would you grant us repentance and lead us away from those? God, would you forgive us Lord? help us to depend on you to not simply worship you one day a week, but Lord, that we might live lives of worship. Lord, that when an outside community looks in toward your people here in this location, Lord, that they might not see this broken down structure and make judgment calls about you. But God, that we might live in such a way that we live worthy of the calling. And God, that as a result, Lord, they might glorify you. Lord, I'm thinking of multiple verses right now that tell us to let our light shine before men so that they might see our good works and glorify you in heaven. Lord, I I, I pray, God, that you would do that through us. Lord, use this time, God. Change us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen, I mentioned that you were going to have an opportunity to uh, to pray this morning and to repent here's what I want to just extend a response to you potential possible response for you is maybe to use this time as Ethan plays and and we respond in song is maybe you don't sing at all, maybe instead you use this time, this opportunity as a believer, as a Christ follower, to repent. To take seriously the sin that you are coddling and to lay it down and turn away from it. Maybe you use this time not only to pray prayers of repentance, but you use this time to pray prayers of dependence. That you might might say to God, God, in my life, Lord, I want to depend on you to do through me what only you can do. Lord, as a congregation, as a church, Lord, your people here, maybe pray for God's work here and say, God, we want to depend on you. We want to know where you would have us to go. We want the faith to be able to go there. Whatever, however the Lord leads you to pray, that's what I'm asking you to. Some of you may want to. I'm I'm not going to force you into groups, but you may want to gather with some people right around you And just pray those prayers of repentance and dependence. Some of you may want to come as individuals and kneel across the front. Pray those prayers of repentance and dependence. There will be people in the prayer room that are out these doors to my right and your left. They would love to pray with you prayers of repentance and dependence. I'll be here on the front row. If you would like to speak with me and have me pray with you, I'll be glad to talk with you and pray with you those prayers of repentance and dependence on God. That's the the invitation. That doesn't mean that's all you can do in the invitation. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you in some other way and called you to some action. Then by all means, follow through. But as a church, as your pastor, I'm calling us to pray this morning these prayers of repentance and dependence on the Lord. As the Lord leads, you respond. Let's worship him.